And uh, yeah, and, and then for others, there are stages in the way you do that, you know, to take people on a kind of journey. And it's kind of good. Some traditions are good, aren't they? And it's always interesting just talking to people about how, how they do Christmas. Um, and um, this morning, it's the second Sunday in Advent, and the theme this morning is God steps in. God steps in. Next week, it will be come and see. So the carol service is come and see. Come and see what this is all about. Come and see uh, the story of Jesus. And the following week is come and worship, the invitation to come and worship him. It's a special time, isn't it? Uh, a time of, of giving and receiving, a time of, of wonder and, and worship. And the story of Christmas is, is staggering in every sense of the word. I, I'm you know, moving on in a few years. You know, I'm, what I mean is I'm getting older. Um, <laughs> didn't want to say it that way, but there you are. Um, yeah, I'm gradually climbing through the, the age scale kind of thing. And I've been a Christian a long time. And, but the story of Christmas never ceases to amaze me never ceases to stagger me. However many times I've heard it, however many times I've read it, it's like, wow, this is such an amazing story. And in, in many senses, you, you, you couldn't invent a story like it, could you? Um, well, you can't because it's revelation. It comes from God. And, and so that, that's the difference, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just such an amazing story. But too frequently in our, our fast-paced world, our consumerist, secular world, um, the story is forgotten. People uh, go about Christmas, but they've forgotten the story. The per point and the purpose of, of Christmas is lost, uh, and uh, it becomes somewhat sentimental and, and, and empty. And, uh, you know, people enjoy the season, but they don't know the reason. We want people to uh, understand the reason so they can fully enjoy the season. You know, that, that's, that's what we want, for people to, to know the reason, then you can fully enjoy the season, because it is good news of great joy to all people. Um, some people think being a Christian is like being signed off to misery for the rest of your life. It's like a death sentence. Oh, you don't, you're not a Christian, are you? I mean, you go to church on Sunday. I mean, well, I mean who want to do that? Well, actually, when you get to know him, you get to understand why you would want to do that, don't you? And, and that is the beautiful thing. So, uh, and, and again, for many people, it's like, why would I, why would I believe in, in, in this, you know, um, to understand Christmas, you have to understand uh, uh, the, the backstory of, of, of God and ourselves. Otherwise, it's like, well, okay, you're asking me to believe in a baby who was born 2,000 years ago? Well, there's been millions of babies born. Why should I celebrate that one's birth? Why should I uh, possibly sort of say, take some special interest in this person called Jesus? Why not somebody else who's got a different name and so on? And, and so it seems disconnected from our reality, and uh, so it can end up sentimental and pointless in many ways. So we need to understand the, the backstory of God and ourselves in order to, to fully understand Christmas. So we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about God for a moment. I don't know whether you've done that this morning already, I trust so already as you've been worshipping, or even before you come along, do you, do you spend time just thinking about God? Do you take time out during the week as you go about your, your daily life? Do you, do you think about God? You know, I, I, I love seasons. I love, say, the autumn that we've been through. And I, oh, God, you are such a brilliant artist. You know, you just look at the beauty, the colours, and, and say, wow, that is absolutely fantastic. So, uh, God, God is. God simply is and always has been and always will be. He is uh, from everlasting to everlasting. He is 
the eternal God. And every one of us, in some way or other, carries a, a God awareness in our hearts. That's why, that's why wherever you go on planet Earth, you'll find uh, people have that desire to worship in some way or other. And if they don't worship you know, the, the, the God of the Bible, they'll find some other God to worship. If, they, if it's not a God in that kind of shape or form, uh, they, they, will, they, they will look at some, some hero and they will idolise them. Or it may be the car that's parked in their garage. In every way, some of us, uh, we, in some way, we have to have something uh, that we kind of extol, that we, we kind of worship uh, and so on. And uh, so we, each one of us have a God-shaped void inside of us. So everyone here this morning has some awareness that there is indeed a God. God, God is. God is. But that, that awareness can perhaps be distorted by the messages of the world in which we live. Uh, the various distortions that are out there. And I, I want to just say to you this morning that God is just absolutely wonderful in every sense of the word. And, uh, and uh, to use a phrase, he is beautiful. I mean, we, we, we talk of beauty in different ways, but perhaps we don't talk about God in that kind of sense. But God is, when you, you get to know him, utterly, utterly beautiful. More beautiful than anything that exists on this earth. And that, that is amazing. And, and in this, God is, God is love. God didn't start loving when he created the world. Didn't, God didn't start loving people when Jesus came into the world in, in this story at Bethlehem. God didn't start loving when Jesus went onto a cross and died for our sins. God has always been love. But love doesn't exist on its own. And that's where the doctrine of the Trinity comes in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has been a trinity of being from all eternity and will be to all eternity. And in that trinity of being a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there has been the giving and the receiving of love from all eternity. A very reciprocal relationship. The Father loving the Son and the Spirit, the Son loving the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit loving the Father and the Son. And this giving and the receiving that's going on within... I, I, you know, I, well, I wish I'd known that many, many years ago when I was younger. Um, because for years I had a concept of God as a solitary being. And when you think of him as a solitary being, it's kind of like, whoa, you must be a bit kind of like fearful and distant and, and so on. And, and uh, not somebody you would draw near to. But when I see the beauty of God in the doctrine of the Trinity, it's, it's staggering. It's amazing. And, and to, to, to think of God in that way is... Uh, the, the theologians use the word perichoresis, which talks about this dance that goes on within the life of the Trinity. And you see those dances. Hey, I've got any Pride and Prejudice fans here? Perhaps you wouldn't want to confess to it. Pride and Prejudice. Anybody see Pride and Prejudice? Yeah? Yeah, yeah you're beginning to raise two more hands now. But you know, you see those dances where they're, they're all dancing together. Not like the, the ones that they do today, where you, they go to dances and they all hip and hop on their own. You know, in, in those, those Pride and Prejudice ones, they're, they're all linked together. It's an intermingling. It's a, an enjoyment together. And, and that's what the peri word perichoresis means it, it, in reflection on the Trinity, that this is the delight that there is in God for God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that's fantastic. Yeah? I wish I'd known it a long time, forever I did. And so God is love, and he has been from all eternity. He's a community of being. God is holy love, and that's what defines his love. His holiness defines his love. It's not some insipid love uh, that is careless and, and, uh, and so on, but it is a pure love. It is a holy love in every sense of the word. And, and God, as I said before, is, is beautiful. When you begin to think of him in these ways, he's beautiful. He's utterly, he's utterly glorious, because he's totally other than ourselves. 
you know, I know my limitations, uh, etc. But God is totally other and is all glorious in every sense of the word. And because of this, this dynamic that was going on within the Godhead, they came up with this plan to create a world. To create a world in which humans would dwell who would relate to God within the circle of his own fellowship. And I think, wow, this is amazing. So anyway, I thought it'd be good just to think a little bit about his world for a moment of time. I don't know about you, but you go online and you look at some of the pictures, say, the Hubble telescope has taken, and how God creates this amazing, staggering universe, and uh, just stars, as it were, flung into space, and he knows them all. There are millions, there are trillions of them. Uh, just some amazing images. Um, we probably should have shut the lights down so you can get, get, catch more of the wonder of these. And, uh, but yeah, just some staggering um, uh, pictures taken from space, peering right into the outest reaches of our universe and catching something of the glory of it and the colour and the, the display that's going on there. And then you, you think of our, our, our little globe in the middle of it all, you know. I, you go to the planetarium, places like that, and you, you, you see our little planet amongst all the other planets and then think of all the vast universes beyond that. And then in the middle of it is this kind of little globe that is called Earth and is, has a very special environment, so distinct from all the others. And, and uh, the way it runs, it, it functions, etc., etc. So, um, you know, if it was too hot, it's just, if it was just a, a degree hotter, we, we would frazzle. If it went uh, too much in the other direction, we would all freeze up. A finely balanced universe, a finely balanced planet on which God creates humanity. He, he takes, he takes uh, uh, dust of the earth and he forms man and he breathes into him the breath of life. What a, what a world he has made. You know, beautiful sunsets. Don't you enjoy those? You know, just going out and enjoying a beautiful sunset or a sunrise in the morning and going, wow, isn't God great? You know, you don't have to, you know, you can enjoy God by enjoying what he's made and the beauty and the space. No artist like God at all. Beautiful sunsets. And I just saw this one yesterday. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, just just staggering the number of colours on this particular bird. I mean, it's just really, really beautiful. And to think that our God made all of this. You know, it reminds me of the old hymn, Then Sings My Soul, My Saviour God to Thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. And of course, on the earth, he creates humans. Have a look around you. You know, we... We are descendants from those that he made right back at the very beginning. He, he made humanity. He created us unique in all of his creation. It's interesting that the more the world forgets God, the more the world leaves God out, the more it wants to treat us as an animal. You know? Uh, so that we actually... And, and it, I, I find reading the news sometimes really just so saddening. Because as we've forgotten God, we've lost sense of that person that I'm angry with is made in the image of God. And it's so easy to, you know, you look at the stories in London at the moment, the number of murders that have taken place through this year, where life has become cheap because we've forgotten God and we've forgotten that we are made in the image of God. That means your life is important, my life is important, all our lives are important. 
So we were made unique. We were made in his image. No other part of creation is made like that. We are made in his image, and we are made to, to image God. We were made to, to dwell within that loving circle, that delightful circle of fellowship that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what Adam and Eve knew uh, right at the very beginning. We were made to be at home with him. Isn't that wonderful? To think that we were made to be at home with God. You know, Christmas is a season when families get together. And it, that sense of being at home with one another. Having your feet under the table together. I remember when I was courting and, uh, and I, you know, sort of went down to, to Pam's parents for a meal. And eventually that sense of having your feet under the table. Do you remember that? Or is it so long ago it's in the mists of time, you know? Uh, uh, it's good to re start remember, isn't it, those things, you know? I can remember on our wedding day, I can remember Pam's mum, who was not this kind of person, just giving me this, this massive, massive hug. And, and it's like I'm at home in another family as well as my own. And the beauty of that, the experience of it, God wants us to be at home with him. At home with him. To have our feet under the table with him. To enjoy fellowship with him. And, uh, but perhaps for so many of us, when we, we think about God, it, you know, maybe our, the image we have is of God as being some, some kind of distant uh, ruler who's powerful, who, who just controls and manipulates everything to his own end, rather than a relational God. We've never conceived of God being somebody we could call Father. Somebody we could relate to intimately. God is not a control freak. God is relational. God set us up for relationship. And relationship involves vulnerability. And God, in creating us in the way that he did, made himself vulnerable. Because God made us with a will. And we could choose to say, I'm going to find a different way. That is the vulnerability of God. The God who gives us capacity to know him and to, to respond to him. That's the beauty of relationship. The problem is that we've broken the relationship. The relationship has broken down. Satan came in and he, he, he said to uh, the original creation, he said, you know, yeah, you've got this idea that God is good, but I want to tell you that he's withholding something from you. So God can't be as good as what he appears to be. And they fell for it and they believed the lie. And they did that which they shouldn't have done. And suddenly they found something within them changed forever. Something drastic happened within their hearts, within their, their minds. And something that they were not used to. Suddenly where, where Adam would come into the garden and God would fellowship him in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve, they would, they would, God would come down in the garden in the cool of the day and he would fellowship them. And that fellowship was beautiful and sweet and glorious in every sense. And, and, and they, in that, they would ask God questions and God would give them answers. They would learn to understand how to, to manage the world in which God had put them to steward the earth and so on and so forth. Suddenly, something had changed. Something was gone. Suddenly, when they thought of God, the first thing that comes into mind when they hear his voice is to go and hide. 
I don't, I don't want to. Something's wrong. And they went and hid. And it seems really strange to me whenever I see it, read that verse where God comes down into the garden like he normally does and he's, he's coming and he knows what's happened and he, he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where, where, where are you? Where, where? His sin has caused him to run from God and go and hide. He's no longer sure of God. He's, he's suddenly found himself in spiritual darkness. He's, he's cut off from God. He has that desire now to do wrong rather than right, a desire to serve others rather than uh, to, sorry to serve himself rather than others. And the Bible calls that sin. Simple word. It's not that we uh, are essentially good and we just kind of oh, I just missed the mark, as it were. Uh, like some arrow that you, you kind of shoot at the target. Oh, it just misses a bit. It's, it's not as simple as that. It's not as little as that. It wasn't just, as it were, a bad shot. It wasn't just a, a mistake. It was, it was something far more serious. And the Hebrew word for it kind of came, carries the meaning of evil, of trouble, misfortune, of mischief, of, of grievance, of wickedness. In other words, everything that just messes up our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and society in general. And we, you know, don't have to go far to find out the mess our world is in for all its education, for all its ability to make money, for all its ability to uh, improve life, the, the mess that our world is in even today. And so we are in every way far from home. We were far from home, as far as could be. At the same time as we were far from home, there was, there was no way we could get back. We were totally lost. Every effort of, of self-improvement fails the test. Every attempt at being religious misses God by a mile. We are, in many ways, what we might call damaged goods. Something is wrong. Uh, we received something from a delivery uh, the other day. It's like you looked at the package and said, oh my goodness, where's this been? Um, you know, tossed hither and thither, beaten, battered, bruised, etc. Torn, uh, a slight tear in it as well. You think, this is, this is damaged goods. Does this serve its purpose anymore? In many ways, we are damaged goods. We are far from home and damaged goods, but that is not, thank God, the end of the story. Zechariah 10 verse 2 says, Household gods give worthless advice. Fortune tellers, they, they predict only lies and interpreters of dreams. They pronounce falsehoods that give no comfort. So my people are wandering like lost sheep. They are attacked because they have no shepherd. There was no one to shepherd them anymore. God was their shepherd but suddenly they were cut off from God. And Jesus, he, he said, it says, when he saw the crowds, he, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, lost in every sense of the word. No idea. You know, over there, nowhere, somewhere, far away, no idea, not sure, uncertain, don't know, distant. And so you, so you could go on, couldn't you? But the beauty of it, the third, my third point is this, God steps in. God steps into our impossible situation and he does something utterly amazing. So in Isaiah 40, verses 9 to 11, we read these words. Oh, Zion, 
messenger of good news. Shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. That was a common picture in the Old Testament times of the shepherd and his flock. And it's a a picture that God uses. And one of the things we need to remember is, in our generation, people tend to say sheep are stupid. No, they're not. Actually, they're very intelligent. And, And they are community creatures as well. We could do a sermon on sheep alone. And that's one of the reasons why Scripture uses sheep to talk about God and his people. And, and so God steps in and he reveals that he will be like the shepherd and he will carry the lambs and he will hold them close to his heart and he will gently lead the mother sheep with her young. And so because God is relational and he made us to be relational, sinful behaviour obviously angers God. Not because God is just huppity and doesn't like certain stuff, it actually does damage to our relationship with God. It does damage to ourselves. It does damage to our relationship with one another. It does damage to society at large. And so that is the reason that God is angry. It cuts us off from him and from one another and is detrimental to our lives and society. But, hallelujah, the God of the Christian isn't an absent deity. He isn't some God who created the world and said, right, get on with it. Whatever will be, will be. No, he's a God who intervenes. The God of the Christian gets his hands dirty. And I love that idea that God, in order to bring salvation, comes here on our behalf. In his love, he had a plan. And he steps into this utter mess. And hence the prophecy, your God is coming. Your God is coming. I find it very sad when you go to Israel and you visit Jerusalem, you go to the temple and you go to the Wailing Wall and, uh, and you can walk amongst the Jews uh, at the Wailing Wall and all the men wailing away, wailing for God to come, wailing for Messiah. And the reality is he has come. He has come. And and this was their prophetic scriptures time and time and time again. God will come. God of the Christian is an interventionist God. I'm glad for that. And I'm sure you could share testimonies about in your own lives how God has intervened in your circumstances to save you from situations, to save you from the messes you've got yourself in, how God has come in Jesus. And, you know, some scholars believe that there are up to uh, 300 prophecies uh, about the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that is a lot, isn't it? 300 verses that were given, prophecies given over the centuries to the people of God. God would reassure them, I am coming, I am coming. And at Christmas, that first Christmas, he steps in in the fulfilment of those prophecies. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. And here's some fantastic information. Uh, they They are specific enough that mathematical probability about them can be worked out. And so even if they've taken a handful of them, 
let alone all of them, the, 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 the nature is staggering, staggeringly improbable, to say the least. Um, if not just downright impossible. So listen to this. Peter Stone, a chair, chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College, along with 600 students from the University Christian Fellowship, looked at just eight specific prophecies, just eight of them. And they came up with extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled. And then they considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of those prophecies. If you like numbers, you're like this. Okay. <laughs> The conclusion of his research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in ten to the power of 17. That is one with 17 zeros after it. Wow. Okay, perhaps you can't get your head around that. So the writer says, suppose we take 10 to the power of 17 silver dollars and we lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state of Texas two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and then stir the whole mass up thoroughly all over the state. And then ask a blindfolded man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their present day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. I mean, that, that's, that's staggering, isn't it? These words that were given to the people of God all those centuries ago and seemed totally improbable and maybe seemed improbable to them, but God, because he is God, is able to fulfill them. And he does in Jesus Christ. That is some staggering statistic. So God steps in time and again into Israel's story. And then in the fullness of time, he steps in in the person of Jesus. So it says in John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh. The word became human and made his home among us. I just love that translation. That God in Jesus. So we, we, we are no longer at home with God. Okay, that's the story. We're no longer at home. We're far from home, but God in Jesus comes and he makes his home among us. I just stop and think about that for a while. Think of, you know, we tend to think we're pretty good, don't we, really? Um, you know, okay, sin a bit, you know, but not too much. But actually, in God's eyes, we've sinned bad. You know, we're not good. And if we were to have everything displayed on the screen about us, I mean, it would be just horrifying, wouldn't it? But to now to think that God comes and he makes his home with us. In that scenario, this is our God. He comes and he makes his home among us. See, he left all the glory that he had with the Father, all the, the beauty of that, of heaven. And he comes and he is born in human flesh. And it staggers me to think that he was just, you know, kind of like that at one time, in, in the womb of his mother, you know, and that he has to grow as a baby within his mother's womb and, and to be born and to, you know. But this is what Scripture says. <laughs> this is our God who, 
comes into our space and our time and he, he, in it he's saying, I am for you. I am with you. I am here to redeem you. I, I love the book of Hebrews uh, because it unpacks something of that. How You see right at the beginning of Hebrews it talks about how he's you know, the image, the exact image of God. And he is the one whose word upholds all of creation, whose word is upholding your life at this moment in time. He's upholding all of creation. But then it says he, he was made like one of us. And how he had to be made like us in every way. He had to take on this stuff, this real stuff. God steps in. And he takes on this real stuff of our humanity, this frailty of our humanity. As one church father put it, the unassumed is the unredeemed. That He steps into, to, into this and he, he redeems it day by day and offers it back to God. So throughout his life he's saying yes to the Father and no to Satan. He was tempted in all points as we are. But every time he's staying connected to the Father and he's saying yes to the Father and no to Satan and sin. And so he... He learned obedience and so he is able to offer himself as that supreme sacrifice which comes, of course, much later in the story. But that's staggering, isn't it? That this God we believe in, maybe you're not there yet this morning and I want to encourage you this morning. This this God is is real. This God is, is love. This God is for you. God did this for you. Not for special people. He did it for you. He did it for all those who've sinned and fallen short of his glory. He steps into our world of brokenness. He he steps into every one of us. He he knows us each by name. He knows the detail of our lives. He he knows our our, our failures. He he knows the trouble, the stress, and and the strains, and and, and so on of life. He loves us. So in the Christmas story, I, I trust that this Christmas we're here again, as it were, God saying, I love you. I love you. And I'm doing this, I did this for you. I left the glory of my heaven and I took on real flesh for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. For every one of us. Did it for you. God steps in. You look at the the ministry of Jesus. He wasn't interested really in going to those who thought they'd got it together because they were, they were just shutting their minds to him. But he was interested in the, those who were broken, who were suffering in life because of sin, who were knew in their own hearts that everything wasn't right. The deprived, the downcast, the downtrodden, those that society was trampling all over, those who knew their sin but didn't know what to do about it. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. God stepped in. God stepped in for you. For me, for every one of us. And even today, God is stepping in. God is still an interventionist God. I'm so glad about that. 
that God still steps into our critical situations. And maybe that there are some here this morning. You, you know, thing, things are not good. And you, you are like the signpost up. Yeah, you don't know which way to look, whether you're coming or going, where you are. God is here this morning to step in. God is here this morning to bring the real Christmas to your heart so that you may know the peace, the joy, the forgiveness, the new life, the hope that that brings. Because when we, we see the angels there in that, that story, it's, they're heralding good news of great joy. You know, people sometimes think being a Christian is a death sentence. It's a life sentence in a real sense that it gives us life. It enables life with God. It enables us to deal with life and, and, and uh, to grow in life. Jesus said, I'm come that you, you might have life and you, you might have it more abundantly. He didn't come to take away life and, uh, oh, you know, just for us to sort of, you know, somehow be forgiven and get home to heaven one day. He came to, to bring life to us in the very present of our reality at this moment in time. To know the Saviour Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah? You're not sure? It's good, isn't it? It's good. I mean, what a message. And so Isaiah 9 says, The people who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of his government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David from all eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. That is our God. Amen. And that is what the Christmas story is all about. That is something of the backstory, the beauty, the wonder, the glory of Christmas. And I pray that you know, each one of us might sense something as that as we go into this Christmas season, that we might give our times to, to meditate on, to think about, to read the scriptures, to encourage one another in this wonderful story of God who has intervened in human history to save us from sin, to reconcile us to himself, to give us a new life, to give us a glorious hope in heaven. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's just pray. Oh, Father, this, this story is staggering. In every sense of the word, when we consider the mess that we have made of our lives and our relationships and society and creation, oh, God, that you should love us is kind of beyond our understanding. It just seems, Lord, it's just not worth loving at times, but yet you are love. And in your love, you had a plan to reconcile and to renew all things. Oh, that's... And, and Lord, what a plan. Every time I think about this story, I'm staggered by it. That God, you would do this. God, that you would leave the glory of heaven in the person of Jesus and you would come and take on real flesh to live here amongst us horrible lot, as it were. With all of our messes that you would come and you would reveal the loving heart of the Father for a broken creation. 
that you stepped in. God, I'm so thankful. We could not have done it. We could not have invented this story. Lord, we thank you that you did it, that you fulfilled your prophetic word and that at Christmas God stepped in and changed everything. Hallelujah. And we pray that this Christmas time there will be people who know that who have not known it before. That there will be people who come to a, a living, vibrant faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. They'll see the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who are part of the journey already, oh God, that we might get excited. <laughs> that we ourselves might be taken up again with wonder and worship and that we would extol you and, and bless you for this so great Saviour, this so great salvation. And so, Holy Spirit, breathe on us through this season, we pray. And I want you to pray for any here this morning who, perhaps at this moment in time, they, they are struggling. They feel somehow lost and hopeless. They feel troubled in heart and in mind. And, and I just believe you would speak to them and say, I love you. Have a look at the, the story of Christmas. That's my love for you. I love you. I came for you. I came for you in all of your brokenness. And I want to reconnect you with myself. I want to forgive and cleanse you. I want to make you new. I want to give you hope. Father, I pray for distant from you that they might know that you have stepped in. And whatever situation they are facing this morning, that even before they go out of this building, even in this moment perhaps, they could know that you're just stepping in because of what you've already done in Jesus. Stepping in to save, to heal, to speak peace, to bring joy, to bring help, to bring hope. Thank you, God, that you do intervene in our lives and you step in. But not only do you step in, you also come to abide. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just make this so real to us, we pray. In Jesus' name.